You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. things which has been missing from comic book movies for some time now has been subtlety. Producers and directors have been far too concerned with the spectacle that they've barely paid any attention to the subtlety. This isn't to say there's anything wrong with spectacle. Whether we're talking about Deadpool or the Avengers, there's something gratifying about watching big, bold, bombastic scenes with our favorite heroes. However, in being so over the top, one of the things which such films forsake is relatability. And if you've ever thought that you have nothing in common with a mutant with claws that come out of his fist or a telepathic old man, then you've never seen them when they weren't saving the world from the likes of Magneto or the Weapon X program. In closing out Jackman's Wolverine run, writer-director James Mangold wanted to bring a humanity to the characters that we've seldom seen, and in so doing brought us what, in my opinion, is the most impactful comic book film ever made because it's in their failings, their struggle, their longing for some modicum of sanity that we see ourselves. Tonight, we're going to be discussing Logan. As with our Guardians of the Galaxy audio commentary, we encourage you to pause this recording, cue up the film right before the first studio splash for 20th Century Fox, then come back. We'll wait. All good? Excellent. Press play now. Okay, I will say, giving credit where credit is due, the only recent film which I believe definitely walks that line between spectacle and subtlety is Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which, having watched it twice, I'm now confident in saying I believe it was significantly better than the first, which is a pretty massive hurdle that James Gunn did not trip over. That said, we're not here to discuss those losers, but these (laughs) losers... But maybe someday we will be tackling two because holy crap did I ever like that film. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about uh, Logan, not just this one, of course, but we're also going to be talking about some of the extras that we watched for this. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the commentary. I loved it. And then, of course, we have a little bit more insight that perhaps some of you won't. And that is that we also have read a lot of Wolverine comic books, including some of what this was based off as well. Not all Haven't of Haven't you read almost literally all of them? <laughs> No, because I haven't read comic books for quite a while now. <laughs> ever since we, okay, okay. ever since we stopped Prior comic book in 2016, <laughs> I wouldn't say everyone, but there's I read a lot of them. So yeah, <laughs> so we um, we love this show right from the get go. I don't know how many times you've seen it now, but I think I'm at like four or five already now, and each time I'm appreciating it even more. It's it's again it's that 
that subtlety allows you to pick up so many things that otherwise you would not. And that comes through in repeat viewings. You, you, you pick up on so many cool things. And now that I've listened to the audio commentary from James Mangold, holy crap, like that puts the, the film as a whole even in a whole new light and makes you appreciate the work that went into it. Yeah, this was clearly a labor of love by everybody involved. Like Hugh Jackman wanted to go out on a high note. James Mangold wanted to make something you know, special and unique. And like everybody, Patrick Stewart, like went above and beyond for his role in this. Like You could tell everybody involved was dedicated to making this, in their eyes, the best superhero movie ever made. Well, what's interesting is that the first few Marine movies were not that good. Like, I mean, we've discussed them at length and the second one wasn't as bad as the first one. Although, I mean, that's again, it's a very low bar. Yeah. But he directed the second one, the Wolverine. So I don't want to say that when it was, this was announced kind of thing that that was a concern because I mean, by that point, I know that for me, I'd kind of given up on on this. I'd given up on a truly spectacular Wolverine movie. I assumed that it would always be the the stuff that we saw in the other two. Because as good as he has been in the 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 X Men movies, um, even the bad X Men movies, man, the two Wolverine movies were so bad. And then you get this, and if if I'm, I know for me, and I'm guessing there's a lot of people in the same boat. If you watch the Wolverine and then watch this, there's no way in hell you think that this is the same director, the same people. Yeah, it, it's it it's cl- so clearly that like, even the studio approached it as like you know, wanting to do something different, and not even not necessarily the studio. The studio saw an opportunity to make money after Deadpool made so much money, <laughs> but uh, you could it's you know with the obviously X-Men Origins and then the Wolverine, they they still wanted a superhero movie. Even if it was a solo movie without, you know, the rest of the cast, you know, they still wanted it to follow a certain formula. And I, the powers that be that signed off on this, like, I'm really glad they did. <laughs> like, I heard um, Hugh Jackman even took, like, a huge pay cut because with an R-rated, an R rating, it's just going to earn less money due to the fact that there's less of an audience that can see the film. So it's going to gross less. So they have a smaller budget. Like, And that Hugh Jackman was so far behind the idea. Like he took a pay cut. Deadpool was as successful as it was as an R rated film. So Mangold really pushed for it and Fox signed off. And that's, that's important. Like <laughs> we've seen so many other studios, Warner brothers just get caught in their way of doing things and not wanting to change yeah, so that's the that's the ultimate uh, game changer is making money. Like Wonder Woman made a bunch of money, so maybe Warner Brothers will be changing things in the future. But uh, with Deadpool making money and now Logan, Fox might be following, you know, a different path as well. Well, the thing is, is I think that the studios need to look at comic book heroes differently than they currently do, because they look at them as a franchise upon which to make a lot of money, not the least of which being the film, but most of it being toys and crap, because Mm -hmm. it's going to be selling to, to kids, whereas, 
you know, that's not always at the back of their mind or at the forefront of their mind for other films. You know, you're, you're hoping the film will make money. And if it's a property that you can make toys off of, sure. But it doesn't influence where the story is going to go. Whereas with comic book movies, it very much is. So with this, it was interesting to listen to the commentary when uh, Mango was talking about that R rating and saying it's not just that it allowed them to... Uh, to drop whatever language that they wanted, which clearly is still important. Not because you need a movie that that's dropping F-bombs all the time, but rather because you want something that's realistic. And it's not just because of the violence. Although, once again, that violence is important when you're talking about a character that has claws that come out of their hands. It has never made sense that, you know, the only real one that showed the, the uh, uh, more of an impact was... Which one was it? Two where he puts the claws through somebody. Yeah, the uh, guy yeah. in the when they were raiding the mansion and yeah. he like skewers the guy at the refrigerator. Yeah. So I mean you got some more in some of the other shows, but this allowed them to to have that violence. But more so than that, the importance of making it an R-rated film is the pacing of the show. They no longer had to cater to children they no longer had to have you know fast action sequences and and very simple plot lines just so that the kids could stay focused but rather that they could have these important long drawn out scenes that are impactful to adults and for a movie that is very much influenced by westerns and old samurai movies that's important. You need to be able to have those very long drawn out scenes in order to sometimes convey a gravitas that you simply can't otherwise. And I actually hadn't thought of that because I'd thought, mm-hmm. of course, about, you know, the violence. I thought about the language and, and shit like that and the merchandising and all that. But I hadn't thought about they don't have to actually write and direct the movie based on a kid's attention span. And all of a sudden, this movie makes a lot more sense and I adore that. And again, you're talking about the money. It's important to note now that having seen the success of Deadpool and this, hopefully more studios will jump on that bandwagon as well. And it's the weird thing where I think this is where we kind of have to be happy that Marvel doesn't own the rights to all of their franchises because I don't see Marvel studios making a movie like this. Well, especially with Disney, that's <laughs> yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Although, you know what? I remember, remember how big of a deal it was when Rogue One got a PG thirteen. <laughs> True, but look at what Marvel's doing with their Netflix series. I mean, we're mm-hmm. getting violence and we're getting very graphic sexual content as well. So, you know what? Maybe again, Disney cares about money too. So, if they can put out a film that is for adults that will make them money. I can't see them having a problem with it. I think we are turning a corner here in terms of what we can expect from future comic book movies. Yeah, that's, I, I'd forgotten about the Netflix stuff for their reasons. So here we are now at this point where we finally get to see who one of our villains is going to be played really well by uh, Hoyd, no, Boyd Hallbrook, uh, Pierce. And... What I liked here, too, is how when uh, Mango was talking about him, too, and saying how in a lot of comic book movies, the villain is quite literally the the 
archetype of a mustache twirling villain kind of thing that's over the top. Whereas if you can have a lot of subtlety with your villain as well as your heroes, it lends it a lot more relatability so that it's it's got that weight to it then when something is going bad. Mm-hmm. I, I was really excited to see Donald Pierce because it's such like an out of the way character. Like when you think of Wolverine villains, Donald Pierce doesn't even make the list because, you know, he wasn't necessarily a Wolverine antagonist. Yeah. You know, he was a member of the Hellfire Club, a group of, you know, powerful mutants and other powered beings that were enemies of the X-Men. And yes, Wolverine did factor quite a bit into those storylines, but like I would would not have guessed that Donald Pierce, like I, I figured, you know, Weapon X, something like that. And, you know, we have elements of Weapon X that carry through here, but it, it's such an awkward choice, but it works because it, nothing in this movie is recognizable from traditional uh, X-Men or Wolverine stories, really. Well, and Caliban as well, which we just got a glimpse of there. And when you see that it's Stephen Merchant, <laughs> I mean, we're huge fans of British shows and we love him and like Idiot Abroad and stuff like that. He's he's a comedian, a damn intelligent comedian. But holy shit, does he, he ever does he ever shine in this movie? Just spectacular performance. It it's weird though, because I'm trying to figure out why they chose Caliban for this yeah. for this character, you know, this caretaker. And the only reason I could come up with was he was a plot point near the end of the movie <laughs> and it works. Like I'm, I'm not knocking it, but it, it's just so weird. I was like, what? Especially because we just saw Caliban in, what was that one? Apocalypse with, with a different actor. And I was like, wait, what? Okay. That is Caliban. Like it, it was a little disorienting at first, but Stephen Merchant, I mean, how can you not love this? That is basically... I don't want to say the only sticking point I have. More may come up as we're watching, although I don't foresee many. It was the only one where I thought that the character choice was driven by the story, mm-hmm. not by what is happening in the story so much as we have the story element where they're going to be in the New Mexico desert. There's going to be a ton of sun. There's going to be this element, this story element in the background of Wolverine wanting to take um, Xavier off in a boat to retire, get him away from people so he can't hurt them and things like that. Of course, Merchant, or I should say Caliban can't go on a ship like that, of course, because he's allergic or whatever it is to the sun. So it felt very much like it was just a a, a plot device and they they put him in versus organically he fit in the story. And let's just appreciate for a moment how amazing Patrick Stewart oh, is God. in this movie. <laughs> hey, he's overacting in all the best ways, and I love him for it. I See, the thing is, is I don't even see it as overacting. I see it just as everything that it is. This character that has been in control of his mind so much his entire life. And that is so much of who he is as a character and to be constantly drugged. (laughs) I can relate to that. Thank you very much. Payments. Um, And also just having to deal with what he believes happened, although it's never stated, you know, exactly what happened, but clearly he's the reason why there are no more X-Men. And then also the fact that he's been essentially just kind of um, 
quarantined from humanity for so long. He's losing it. And it was funny watching him in interviews just before this came out and afterwards because he he's such an interesting man, first and foremost. And then the choices he makes in acting, like the the recent, um, what's it called? Um, Blunt News? Blunt, um, what the hell is it called again? I can't remember. The, the sitcom he just did. Anyways, brilliant, but nothing at all like what you expect. You, like from a Shakespearean actor, from Picard, from all these things with gravitas. And here you have this complete and utter goofball. So hearing him talk about this role and what it meant to him to be able to get to that chapter of that character's life that has been, for the most part, Still, yeah, he's got emotion and whatnot, but still somewhat stoic in being the teacher of them all. And, and a lot of the shit that we saw in the comic books, a lot of which which didn't make sense, where he really turns out to not really be that good a person, <laughs> did not translate to the movie. So this, for most audiences, still makes sense that this man that they cared about that was always trying to do good is now reached this point of his life where he has no control anymore. The thing I love most about this is go back and watch the X-Men movies. Would Wolverine from the first X-Men movie be caring for this old man? Not, not a, not enough, not ever, (laughs) but we've seen, you know, the relationship between the two grow over the course of the films, especially with uh, days from future past, you know, interacting with young Xavier and all that. So, and the fact that, you know, he's still here shows unseen a certain amount of history between these two characters that this gruff badass loner would stick around and care for this old man when you know he has really no reason to other than loyalty and love and it's also like you just said too like a lot of that is off screen regardless of one two the unspoken three (laughs) and the others (laughs) the reboots the um like this is taking place in 2029 So there's still some time in there that they would have been gotten closer as well as a family again with things going bad. The um, especially if depending on when, you know, we can call it the event happened when again, presumably Charles lost it and killed everybody except for for um, Logan And depending on when that occurred as well, whatever bonding they had thereafter would have been pretty freaking intense. Like it would have been an unbelievable, like comparing it to everything they'd already been through, this would have been the loss of their entire team and then trying to work through it as as just the, the two guys. Yeah. Now, for people who did not read the the com- I love this scene where he has to pull that claw back out. <laughs> <laughs> He's like malfunctioning all over the place. For people, yeah, you, what happens if you have arthritis and metal bones? Like, <laughs> how? <laughs> the 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 thing that people uh, actually, I was going to talk about Logan, but we may as well talk about that when we saw the claws and whatnot, and what's happening with him in the, in the movie right now is his healing factor is not working nearly as well anymore. You're, you're actually seeing scars on him. Now you're seeing how it takes him, takes him a lot longer to heal. And then throughout the, the film, you notice how he's spit blood and he is, 
he knows he's dying. Well, the thing with the character is that the 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 things that's the coolest, this adamantium skeleton, is actually has been poisoning him, his system, since it has been in him. And it's just that his healing factor was able to compensate for it. So that's why he was still able to heal and, and, and keep going. The problem is, is that as that healing factor has been degrading, well, the metal is still in his system. And so it's not so much slowly anymore poisoning him. And he is just not doing good. <laughs> and... And I actually prefer this over what we saw in Old Man Logan, which, again, that's the obvious comparison here, which we're going to talk a little bit about as well. Obviously, you have to. But I prefer this story of an aging Wolverine at the end of his journey as opposed to what we saw in Old Man Logan, which was still very good, was well more than very good, actually, and, and, and great. But in going back to my earlier statement of the subtle versus the spectacle, Old Man Logan is spectacle, whereas this is subtlety. And I I much prefer this. It's so much more relatable than jumping in the Hulk's mouth and killing him (laughs) from the inside, you know? Like, this just makes so much more sense. And another thing that really separates the two, and I have to give a lot of credit again to Mangold and the team, is the entire purpose of Old Man Logan was, you know, to jump ahead to a future, you know, what if scenario and just litter the entire book with references to things that happened and, you know, characters that aren't there anymore. Aside from what we see here with, you know, Xavier and Caliban and some of, you know, the kids that show up later, some, you know, some of their potential parentage, there is literally no reference to anything else in the franchise. Like, it's not littered with those little Easter eggs and, you know, little cute things in the background. It, and it allows you to take this that much more seriously for that because you're not always looking out for, oh, is that, is that Cyclops's visor back there? I bet it is. Like, no, it's this is this is the movie. This is what's important. You know, pay attention to these two guys talking. Well, that goes back to what Mangle was saying in the commentary, too, how one of the things that he loves about when he was thinking about influences and having the obvious Western influence is that one of the great things about Westerns, and he compared also, obviously, samurai movies, is that the stories in and of themselves are very simple. It's it's easy to to understand exactly what is going on, as opposed to a lot of other comic book movies he talked about, too, where there's so much going on, it takes you a while to actually unpack what has happened, what everything happened. And so here you have instead something that is so, again, simple. If, if for a lot of people will think simple is a negative thing, but it's not. Something can be simple and you still have a lot of depth. And he was saying how by having it that the story is so simple, it allows you to then focus on the depth of the characters. And that's what's important. And that's what separates, again, this from most almost all comic book movies how weird does it see wolverine wearing glasses dude the tag (laughs) on the glasses fucking kills me i love that (laughs) it was funny because it was literally not long after this i had to finally pick up glasses i made it this long without needing any and now it's like ah because it's a little blurry when i'm on either my ipad or reading so it's not just me it's wolverine too (laughs) 
<laughs> Listen, let's let's see how you are when you're a couple hundred years old, all right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this little girl. Now, this is something, again, if you've only ever listened to Popcorn Ronin and never listened to Comic Book Informer, or were selective in which episodes of Comic Book Informer you ever listened to, I love the character of X-23. I've talked about it often on the podcast. She's just such a good character when written properly. There's a lot of writers who have not done a good job with her. That said, there's a lot who have. So when rumors came out that, oh, X-23 is going to be in this, very excited. But again, looking at what was screwed up with prior Wolverine movies, also very worried. I mean, Jesus, look at Ryan Reynolds <laughs> in the first one. <laughs> And then understand what I mean, how they can completely screw up uh, a character. So I was worried. And then... It's interesting because I knew they were working on this movie. I had completely ignored all the press for it. I was like, it's another Wolverine movie. Like, what? Okay, yeah, great. They want to do Old Man Logan. They're going to fuck that up too. (laughs) And then the first trailer came out and I was like, is it supposed to be Laura? (laughs) <laughs> and it's just immediately as soon as that little girl showed up on in the trailer i was like this would be the greatest movie ever <laughs> yes because <laughs> as soon as you see her in the role it does not take long where you realize this little girl is unbelievable like again it is a very difficult role to play and that goes for the, the the actual character in the comics as well as the way that she's portrayed here, which is surprisingly close to what is actually in the comic books. And and I love this. I love that they got the comic books too. Apparently they got the <laughs> Casada to give them a hand with that, which is kind of neat to make sure that it has the authenticity of the actual comic books. Um, anyways, when you see her in this, she is unbelievable. Like that little girl, well, both her parents apparently are are entertainers or or actors as well. And she didn't need to be explained how to act, where to go, what to do, how to enter a scene and and things like that. She was there and she, boom, she knew what to do and she was phenomenal. At her audition, she asked if she could improvise off script. (laughs) And it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Talking of auditions, uh, of course, you know, casting call went out for every young girl actress you know Millie Bobby Brown actually auditioned for the role as well? No, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, oh, man, I'm torn. <laughs> I know. Because I would have liked to have seen that, even just the audition for it. I'm happy with this little girl, Daphne Keene, but I think I would have liked to have seen her audition. <laughs> That'd be interesting because, man, she was so good in Stranger Things and along the same lines as a character. Yeah, you can close your eyes and kind of envision each of the actresses in both roles because they're not similar, but they do have certain character traits, and they they even have you know, sort of similar appearances. You know, the big eyes and, and all that. So hey, it's it's fascinating, <laughs> like such a what if scenario. What if Daphne Keene was in uh, Stranger Things? The only thing I will say though is, and I'm sure she could because Little Brown is a phenomenal little actress. But when Daphne gets to really go off the rails, when she's mm-hmm. when she actually starts freaking talking, and during those action sequences, I'm not so sure that Millie Bobby Brown could have pulled those off with the same level of like 
ferocity that we got from this little girl. And that's so important for this character. I didn't listen to much of the uh, director's commentary. Did James Mangold talk about how many times they had to reshoot the action scenes with her? Actually, what he said is that she loved doing the action scenes. And that's the problem. X-23 is allowed to smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was saying how for most actors, they hate doing wire work because it's uncomfortable and you, a lot of rigging and everything like that. And he said she just was in her element. She was having so much fun and never wanted to end. Every single day of filming, she just was having so much fun. So, yeah. yeah what was they it? had to go back and reshoot some of them because X-23 isn't supposed to have fun. <laughs> That's hysterical. I love that. <laughs> what I loved is he talks about the scene where she finally speaks and goes off on Logan. And because of the manner in which it was filmed and all that, even the crew had not really heard her speak all that much until that point. She was just <laughs> this little girl who was just fantastic in the action scenes and brutal and everything else. But then that scene, he says, it was like almost everyone, nobody looked at her the same again after that. <laughs> but yeah, such an amazing little actress. And this is something that's important for this movie because as important as all of the supporting actors are in this 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 movie which again something else that Mangold talked about the importance of choosing really really good actors for each supporting role so that when you are watching it you're not thinking oh this is just some extra in this important person's life but rather we're seeing not just the main characters but we're seeing slices of life for all of the sporting actors. And that's the importance of working with good actors. But even he was saying how, you know, the movie was very much about Logan and Professor X, but they wanted it to be, you know, the three-legged stool and have Laura be equally important. But the problem was is that they didn't know based on who they would get if they'd be able to do that. And then she shows up and just basically <laughs> steals it. from it. heaven. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I adore this set. Like, this was ingenious for them of using a fallen over water tower and puncturing it and everything, and it's got that look of Cerebro. Again, freaking genius of them to <laughs> whoever was in charge of the set design. I can't remember their name. But holy Christ, I love this set. Yeah, it, it's it got so much character. Like, it, it, it like this thing has existed forever and it's going to still exist after these guys move on. It's just they're a blip in this building's, you know, lifespan. But yeah, what they did with it with, you know, Caliban's little kitchen, Xavier's, you know, room. And like you said, the, the mini Cerebro is just crazy. Did you get a chance to watch the black and white version yet? I watched a little bit of it, but I, I didn't have time to sit down and watch the whole thing. Yeah, I did. I had to. And, um, and yeah, I I basically the 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 black and white. I'm trying to remember now. I think I saw it in the. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> See the important things here. We'll go back to the black and white after. The, and I love that too. That he's going to shoot it back at her. <laughs> They're the same person, and you get that in that little exchange. What I love about that is how this is the first time 
you get a glimpse of the strength that she has. And that was important. She's not just a little girl. She is a little girl that from way over there can whip a piece of metal so hard that not only does it knock out one mutant, but it sends the other guy who catches it back a step as well. Like, that's a strong little freaking girl. <laughs> but going back to the black and white, I watched it in my uh, my PSVR because oh, wow. in the PSVR you and because I bought the uh, the Blu-ray, the PSVR um, one of the the things that is actually uh, uh, I don't want to say a limitation, but it's a different kind of screen. So there is a slight screen door effect. And I, I've talked about that on our, our gaming podcast uh, for the lore. And for the most part, it's not a big deal, but you do notice it. And when you're watching a movie, you notice it as well. Not, It's not bad, and it very, is very reminiscent of being at a theater. And But you get can to I, see can it I pause big. for a second? Go back. And like, that is the power of Stephen Merchant. He's there covered head to toe, all you can see in his eyes, and you... Cat captured his emotions yep. perfectly in that scene. <laughs> Again, work with the right people. And he is freaking phenomenal in this role. But anyways, I, I love that little exchange between the two of them with the bag too. And again, Mango was talking about that, how the... Again, you're seeing the interactions between the two. You're seeing how just how freaking strong she is. You're seeing that same feral elements to both of them as well. And it's built upon so well. Anyway, so yeah, I was watching the black and white on the PSVR because the screen door effect actually enhances it to make it look more like a Western. And I will say this, though. I actually was a little, a little disappointed, or rather I wish he would have done something different because in listening to the the audio commentary, he talked about the cinematography, he talked about the lighting as well and different things like that. Super freaking interesting because whereas a lot of films go out of their way to use soft lighting and things like that to make their actors look as best possible, these guys know it's hard lights, it's reflections, it's things like that, and it's it shows off flaws and things like that, but it's far more natural. And what they figured out is as he was taking pictures during the dailies and posting them, he would post them in black and white and people would comment on how good it looked and like a an old Western. The problem is that when you watch it, it's it's the same thing as what you're seeing here, except black and white. And which is great because you're getting those huge contrasts. Your your mind is seeing more and your eyes are seeing more because you don't have the color distraction. The problem is, is that he should have added some light film grain or something as well. It doesn't look like an old Western. It looks like a very modern show that you're watching in black and white. Mm -hmm. It still looked great, but it could have been absolutely magical. And it turned out to be more like, oh, this is interesting and I like what you're doing, but man, you there was a missed opportunity here. Right. It's like when um, George Miller released the Chrome edition of Mad Max Fury Road. I was like, this is cool, but when I think of Fury Road, I think of how bombastic it is. Like, I don't want to watch it in black and white. <laughs> like, yes. Well, the saturated like, it, colors, it's, too. It's interesting, but it's such a visual spectacle, that movie. Like, I think you're doing it a disservice. Whereas it does fit here thematically, but I, I could definitely see what you're saying, how 
it's just a black and white version. Like it doesn't evoke that same emotion as watching an old movie does. I, I have quite literally thought of taking a, a digital copy and putting a filter on it, essentially making it black and white and putting a, a filter on it and seeing just how much of a difference it would be because I feel it would make a massive difference because it does work as a, as a Western style show. Like it's amazing. Even for what it was, like I said, I loved the black and white version. I, I much preferred, in fact, the black and white over the color version. It just was spectacular. spectacular. It just, it could have been better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, yeah. Yes, God. He does That's such a good job. One of the things that he does so well is the frailty. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, some actors, obviously predominantly men, don't like looking frail or don't like looking like that. It's It's got to be powerful and egotistical and shit like that. Not all, but you get that a lot. He is not afraid of that. He, holy crap. And it's funny because he was talking, which one was it? It was either on Conan or one of those. He was talking about how Jackman was just picking him up like he weighed nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and he was saying, no, understood. I had to lose some weight for the film and all that. So I was a little smaller and he had to gain some. But yeah, he would just kind of pick him up like he didn't weigh anything and plop <laughs> him on the toilet or different things. And and he said, yes, it's, <laughs> they kind of had a good laugh about it. Well, but it gives that, it gives the performance that much more authenticity. Like, you know, there's no rigging or whatever. No, that's actually Hugh Jackman yeah. hefting this man around. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I just freaking adore it. <laughs> because she is just, again, look at her. She's just biding her time and waiting. Mm. That's a little eyebrow curl. <laughs> That's the other thing I was going to mention, too. Like, I, her eyes naturally go to this demonic place <laughs> that fits <laughs> the character so well. He talks about doing this too and having that action off screen. And then when she comes out, you have to wait for the reveal because they were initially going to put the head in her hand kind of thing and walk out. And here it's more of you're waiting to see kind of what's going on. And then he talks about (laughs) Albrook's performance here too. Like, which again, the, the more you watch this film not as a comic book hero movie, but as, you know, just a film. When you watch him talking to her right now as she's going to move over, and it's as a parent, and then more as a stricter parent, and then it's as more and more, okay, listen, listen, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy. Christ, he did a good job. Oh, look at her. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Although it also is important to point out with the, the choreography... She doesn't fight like Wolverine. No. And she she yeah, obviously she cuts some dudes up, but she's more agile, like more feline, whereas 
Logan is, you know, <laughs> just a bull sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, brute force. But that's what I love. And that's when you know that somebody has taken the time, hired a good stunt coordinator, somebody who understands how people will fight differently. What I love here, too, though, is not just that she is an insanely agile little girl, but if you watch her takedowns, not only is she using her strength, but she's using her momentum a lot when she's flipping them over like she just did. Like, that's that's some spectacular... Jesus! (laughs) (laughs) I also love that... (laughs) Logan understands that immediately. And like, yes, he was willing to just take off and leave her. But when he figures out, no, she's coming and he's saving her and whatnot. Jesus, she's a tough little girl. <laughs> when he is taken off in the um, the car, he's not really slowing down all that much to let her get in. No. He knows <laughs> she's a freaking mutant with claws. She's going to get in. It's not a problem. Let's go. And he's right. And that was one of my favorite scenes, actually. I toured it. And there we see again what's always the most important thing to him. To, Jesus, look at her move. Yeah. Buckets of blood. Yeah. I love how he was talking as well about all of the the stunts and the different things. Like a lot of what you're seeing, he says, again, when you're watching a show, here's where they're going to be. Just kind of stopping up. Jesus. <laughs> Get in. But uh, when the... Um, when you're seeing these scenes, when you're seeing Boyd on top of the the car shooting, different things like that. He says, the actors are doing it. Like those are scenes that they wanted the reality of this set in New Mexico. So you're seeing the dust and the debris and things flying around, the the different things like that, as opposed to a, a green screen and the difference that makes, which is an obvious one. He wanted that return to a reality, which which is apparent on the screen, but also makes a big difference then in how the actors do their, their portrayals as well. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between doing something like this and what that's going to mean to the actors in the car as opposed to pretending like the car is moving and there's a green screen behind you. Probably why Ian McKellen wanted so badly to have an appearance in this movie. He's tired of green screens. <laughs> like, this is just a brilliant scene. When you analyze everything that's going on and just the look of it as well with that fence that's being dragged behind behind the car, just freaking amazing. The cinematography in this film is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, James Mangold has always been a great filmmaker. Like, uh, did you see his version of 310 to Yuma? Yeah. Yeah, see, that's the other thing, too. Like, I, I made a few comments, disparaging, maybe, comments about his work on the Wolverine. But, I mean, the man has worked on some... <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, I mean, I loved Copland. I really mm-hmm. thought it was a spectacular show, 310 to Yuma. Um, what else did he do? 
Uh, walk the Line. Yeah, like, Walk the Line is fantastic. He knows how to make a good movie, which is obvious from this. So I want to talk for a second about uh, the villains that we're seeing here. Go for and it. That's, uh, I don't know if they're ever named in the movie, but uh, these guys are known as the Reavers. So I mentioned Donald Pierce. Uh, he was a member of the Hellfire Club, which is like this upper society uh, group of villains that the X-Men had run into over the years. I believe he was the White King. Uh, they had, you know, Black King, White King, Black Queen, and White Queen. Uh, most people would, of course, know the White Queen as Emma Frost, one of the more famous characters from the X-Men franchise. She was in a couple of the movies. <laughs> uh, but as the uh, the Hellfire Club went through some uh, structural changes, he ended up leaving because he hates mutants. Because, of course, he's an X-Men villain. And the Hellfire Club was mostly made up of uh, mutants at that point. So he went off and thought dead. Uh, turned out that, you know, no, he's actually cyborg so uh he went and started up this group of uh you know cyborg mutant killers known as the reavers who featured very prominently into the uh the comics during the late 80s i want to say uh chris claremont his phenomenal run on x-men uh had a fan favorite story arc where the team was in hiding in like the australian outback and it's it it's it's very reminiscent of this because it's this desolate area, not, you know, almost a desert, if, if you will. And they kept running into these, you know, cyborgs. And of course, being a comic book, like the cyborg parts were like over the top. And there's one guy whose entire lower body was just treads. But I, I, I like that they carried over that little element. And like you see, like, you know, these guys, they don't just have mechanical arms. Like that guy literally has a gun for an arm or uh the dude that she cut to the head off of like he he was largely mechanical like, I, I like that uh they kept like the core of it here as like being recognizable x-men villains it it makes fans kind of attached to things a little more and it's done in such a way that because it's not explained it just is and it's simple enough that anybody can just pick up on it and be like yeah there you go and 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 we're all right with this kind of thing. So no, it's it was really well done. Again, because we're at a point where so much has been done in terms of comic book movies, and that they have become such the mainstream now that like your parents know who Captain America is and the relationship he has with Tony Stark and stuff like that. And they understand that so that when you're seeing movies like this now, you can hit the ground running a lot faster as a director and comic book writer. I mean, I am looking forward to the freaking Batman where we don't get an origin story. You know, never going to happen. Oh, yes, it will. I, I maintain it will. There will be a Batman movie where there will not be that scene at the funeral and a scene at the, 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 the cemetery. It will happen. And that will likely be one of the best ones to come out. But that's what we see here. A lot of the things that are said and done, that groundwork has been laid by a multitude of films that have come before it, however bad some of them may be, it's there. So that allows them to kind of jump right in and you don't need to know everything about the characters. It, it Again, it's and, and it's the director having enough faith in the intelligence of the people watching that, you know, it's a bunch of people, guys, with prosthetics. 
there you go. They're bad. <laughs> you know, end of story. <laughs> That's all you needed to know. Yeah. This woman's a great actress, too. She did a great job. Uh, Elizabeth Rodriguez. Because this is a role that is, again, I don't know that her character was ever in the, if she was the same nurse, doctor, whatever, who was in the um, the X-23 Origins story in the comics. I couldn't but tell you. There was a character that was more of a mother figure, mother type figure to X-23 in that time. I didn't think it was her, but it might have been. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And there's the first glimpse of what he can do. See, these were the parts that I, I was pouring over when I got the home version of like looking for those little, like, who are these kids? Like, you know, who who yeah. is your father? Who is your daddy? And what does he do? <laughs> well, what I thought is it might be a lead into the New Mutant stuff because mm-hmm. like they're still working on that. I didn't know whether or not the kids in this would eventually become the kids that are in, you know, the New Mutants, but no. Well, one of the kids is clearly Richter, who wasn't really a member of the New Mutants per se. Like, he joined up at the very, very end of the run, just before it became uh, X-Force. But, like, I saw, like, at one point, like, I think it's uh, on the back of her photo where she had, like, the name of her friends written. Yeah. I saw some familiar names. So, like, I, I was hoping for that as well. And, like, it would work so well because what Chris Claremont's original concept for the new mutants comic was was they were literally going to replace the x-men you know he had long-form storytelling in mind and eventually all of the x-men characters are going to retire die off what have you and you know the new mutants the the young students that were in the other book were going to become the new x-men and then he could just bring in you know a new class of new mutants when when those things happen of course, comics being comics, you're never allowed to change anything permanently, so that never happened. Those poor kids are still teenagers 50 years later. <laughs> but I, I I like at least the thought that in some fictional universe, there's a movie version of The New Mutants that's a sequel to this movie. Yeah, it would be cool. <laughs> Just love the absurdity of her riding that little pony. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is like here's a child who has no frame of reference for this. She grew out of a tube and then was kept enslaved and, and basically not taught so much of what it is to be human. And so like wanting to slice a thing open so that she could ride a horsey longer makes perfect freaking sense. At the same time, she's still a child. Like, you know, she's riding the horse. She's having fun. Oh. And this is <laughs> just, it's such a short little scene, but being able to convey so much of how demoralized Xavier is, how fed up Logan is, and how bonded the two of them are. It was a scene that lasted, what, five, ten seconds? Mm-hmm. Spoke volumes about their relationship. What's funny is when we were watching uh, this at home, Alicia's like yelling, she's like, get the egos. Where's, where's the egos? Yeah. <laughs> I love that she's willing to kill him over Pringles. 
I mean, she's only learned one form of conflict resolution in her life. And pretty sunglasses. <laughs> I also love that Logan doesn't actually pay for the stuff he takes. He just steals it. <laughs> you know, he he's chiding her for wanting to murder someone, but thievery, that's all right. <laughs> you know, at, at this point... <laughs> It's one of those, count yourself lucky you don't have two sliced holes in your brain pan right now. I took the label off. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of these kind of things in the... Um, the mini series as well for the first X23 where she's a child coming to terms with everything that they've done to her. And again, here is where our rated movie, you can have a film that has consequences. Very often mm -hmm. consequences are off stage or consequences are such that we are used to seeing such things as an adult audience, be it, you know, a human, a, a, an adult man being killed, fine. Woman, then also. But children, eh, not as much. Children committing suicide, definitely not. But because it's an R-rated film and it fits into the story for what they're doing to these kids, it makes sense. And, it, and the impact is there. Yeah, like this is at points hard to watch. But it, that's only because it's so well made, and like, yeah, it, it balances that line of having menace without being like gratuitous as well, which yeah. is something a lot of movies don't know how to do. I I don't know about you, and this is saying a lot when you look at what happens in this film because it is a violent, violent film. I didn't feel it was gratuitous at any point. No, like the violence makes sense; it's part of the story, even when it goes off the fucking rails at the end, you're always thinking this makes sense. And this is something we've discussed at length, not just when talking about comic book movies, but comic books, especially where characters so often do not act the way that you would see them acting, not how you would act, but how it would make sense to the character. But when you are, when there are no consequences anymore, or I should say when there are consequences, when they are basically allowed to present the character how they really would be and the choices they really would make then and you know going forward that this is the last film so it's all right if he dies at the end it's the end of his journey so then now all of a sudden everything that occurs has so much more weight because it can be the end of these characters mm -hmm. and it's not a comic like they don't have to bring them back yeah uh, clearly I mean, they, they will, will. It's, but it'll be a reboot, <laughs> essentially. I just, this is one of those things where, like, you could do a new Batman. There have been enough Batman at this point. I don't think you can do another Wolverine. Like, I, you just can't. I, the romantic in me agrees. The realist in me is looking forward to seeing who they cast next and what they do with it. Because that, that's why we're, you just got to go the comics route and Laura becomes Wolverine. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, don't well, get then, me wrong. That's you got some choice number one. Shenanigans we got to worry about. But. No, 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 because this little girl, 
they need to do an X-23 movie or label it Wolverine if you want to follow what the comics did. And she starts off, you know, this is now, you know, she'd be a couple of years older, but start her young and then build on that. Give her three films moving forward with her growing into the role. My God, mm-hmm. I would love to see that. In fact, I mean, it when... It would a lot like X-23 in the comics, how she was not originally a comic character. She was created for the X-Men Evolution cartoon, and that cartoon was popular, and she was such a popular character, they created her in the comics. So we have here, like, she's became so popular in this movie that we can get the same actress in an alternate reality version in the actual X-Men movies. Well, again, this this they've never followed continuity anyway. So it really, really doesn't matter. They don't need to do anything to mess around with, oh, this is where she fits. They don't care about that. That's been made clear with all the X-Men movies. When they interviewed Jackman for, I can't remember which publication interviewed him about this. And they were saying, like, who do you foresee being the next Wolverine? Because apparently (laughs) he has a say in who is going to be the next Wolverine. And his words exactly were, I know a little 12-year-old girl who'd be perfect for the role. And here's where we see the Western influence. And what I love about this, which I actually didn't pick up on, and I've seen it enough times, you think I would have, but by the end of the film, if you allow yourself to become emotionally invested with the characters, which we have not just by virtue of the, the movies, but also the comic book. So we, we, we do have an emotional attachment to these characters. And and if you allow yourself to really get into it, when you get to the end of the movie, when she's giving her eulogy, you're barely paying attention. At least I was, because you're feeling so much. And I didn't realize the little blurb that she gives is the quote that they set up here that she hears in the film. And that's why a child is able to speak with such um, reverence about about something as mature as murder and what it does to a person. And and it's so impactful. But yeah, it's because she heard it in this, this Western that she's watching with Professor Xavier. And it's so brief, but the screen time that Xavier and Laura share together, they're, they're bonding is such a treasure like i and you see like it, it carries on even you know spoiler alert I mean, i'm assuming you've seen this movie before <laughs> after xavier's not around like you still see his influence on her and perfectly example right there is what you said that the the quote from the movie and when she's riding around in his chair <laughs> i don't know if that was scripted or that was just her going to sit in the chair because that's what a child would do want to play in the chair is just so freaking perfect. And there he is now finally realizing that the Eden that she speaks of, the coordinates where she's he they she wants him to take her are from just a comic book. And or no, actually he hasn't pinpointed yet that it's Eden, but that the that she reads them and and thinks that they're real. But it's when he's at the bar later, that's when he realizes that the Eden is from the comics. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that Mangle talked about too, about having a 
comic book character speaking with such, you know, hatred <laughs> of the origin of the characters, the comic books. He just hates that because they window dress what actually, quote unquote, for them is actually happened and the atrocities that they had to live through. And that's where you get so much more authenticity. Realism. Yeah, exactly. Like try to put yourself in this fictional world where, you know, these people actually do exist. (laughs) And yeah, of course there'd be marketing around it and they would hate it. Poor kid. (laughs) He deserves what he's going to get because of that hair. (laughs) (laughs) What I love about this too is how it is a not so distant future. So... Mm -hmm. As opposed to the Back to the Futures and and shit like that, where a future was presented that was clearly never going to happen, this is very much, yeah, this is where we're heading. This is what it's going to look like. In fact, this might be a little bit more advanced with the self-driving transports, you know? So, and he spoke about when he was watching at this scene here, how, like, a lot of people were talking to him about this and about the... Um, th- the way that it looked and how the, the infrastructure falling apart and everything like that. And they were saying, like, you're trying to make it look like America's pretty bleak. And he went, we didn't window dress any of this. This is what it looks like now. Yeah. Like, we just went out and found the spots and it wasn't hard to find. This is what it looks like now with crumbling infrastructure and things like that. So, like, there's a reality here that people need to understand. Yeah, and here's where he comes to the realization that the Eden is a comic book premise. I just like the idea of Wolverine at a bar, not some fruit for a bar, and just kind of sitting there and having a drink while reading comic books. <laughs> I think that's hysterical. I also appreciate that his costume is even terrible in the, these comics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they couldn't give him the actual Wolverine costume. That would be too cool. <laughs> well, he didn't have it for a lot of the X-Men stuff. He wore the stupid blue and, and yellow. Mm-hmm. So it actually fits. Well, I mean, it ties in like how much, you know, again, those early movies, how much he hated the stupid costume. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> Even the fictional version of him, he hates that costume. <laughs> did you hear how they did this? The, what's coming up? No. So when they were doing this scene, which, again, if you've seen the movie, you know what's going to happen. That. And so when they were doing this scene, what happened is that they wanted a, again, because so much of the show is for all intents and purposes, low, like not hi-fi stuff like they're not relying on special effects they're just really really simple old school filming techniques and whatnot so 
what they did for this is because damn near all cameras now have the anti-jitter software as part of it or, or part of their hardware, what they did is they disabled that and then they basically had the cameras hanging and things like that and would just shake the ever-loving shit out of them like crazy <laughs> just vibrate them and shake them like crazy all over and then they like star trek the bridge is under yeah <laughs> yeah and then they ran it through some software that kind of got rid of some of the excess stuff and and baselined it so that you have this this really really cool effect that works beautifully and I, was super lo-fi i see i would not have imagined that. i figured it was expensive programming and cgi after effects no it's just good old-fashioned filmmaking yep ingenuity and it's just such a great scene as well because of course the two that can survive it and move are working against the others and it's just this slow brutal kill that all of them can see coming <laughs> the only thing though that makes a little less sense see look she looks the, the eyebrows like feral <laughs> I love it is that they're still standing you would think that the, that's a mental thing that is affecting them so that they are their muscles are spasming and kind of frozen and they can't control anything. But once they're dead, they should just basically fall over. But then you don't get this scene of everybody falling at the same time. Their brains don't know they're dead yet. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no hesitation whatsoever. <laughs> and then you have this tenderness seconds later. And that's such a great shot looking back on it now. Like the, the one hand holding Xavier's, the other covered in blood. Again, going back to praise for Patrick Stewart. Just that ride through where he's apologizing to people and he feels so bad for what he did. God, that man can act. Well, yeah. He reminds us of that every time he's on a talk show. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's funny here is I didn't realize until my second viewing that those were self-driving transports. <laughs> I just wasn't paying attention enough because of everything else that's going on. And it's only later that you're like, holy shit, look at that. Child being a child. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love this too because he was talking about that too. How you can have this scene last a little bit longer and be something that would have bored children. However, an adult will look at that and think about it. every time they've been in the car with a parent and one of their children, which I've had that happen as well, and and things like that. And it's and it's real. It's something you can relate to, and it and it shows it shows them as a family which is what this film is all about. It's about family. That's one of the things that he was talking about for the running theme throughout is, is hands intermingled and, and holding or something like that. And you get to see that periodically. And when it is shown, it is spotlighted. Like when he either grabs her hand or she grabs his hand or when she's grabbing Xavier's like she just did, like those things are given reverence that they deserve. And it's all part of this idea of this, you know, those two certainly were together all along, but then here's this other part of the family that's that's just thrown into it without any control whatsoever. Yeah, this is heartbreaking with, you know, Xavier finally realizing, like, what he did in the past. Yeah. <laughs> It was interesting to hear him talk about the about Xavier and about the little girl, but more so Xavier when they take off on this road trip and and then when they come across the family, which is coming up soon and things like that. And he's seeing brief moments, moments, glimpses of a normal life. And he's been quarantined for so long and he misses that. And he misses mm-hmm. being around people and being out and things like that. So this road trip to him is so important. And 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 it's it's not something that Logan can understand. He's on the road all the freaking time as an Uber driver. So for him it it it's not the same thing. Whereas for 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 Xavier, it's like it's freedom. And for her as well. Every little girl loves horses. Well, they're pretty horses. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And attention to detail, setting up the kid, listening to his iPod, which comes about later on as well. It's, It's a small thing, but you notice it when you watch it again. Tesla's stocks dropped a couple of points after that scene. (laughs) See, now this sets up some good life advice where if you have a beautiful family, wonderful home, and you ever in your life see Hugh Jackman, you fucking run. (laughs) We watched The Prestige again. Oh, I just ago. watched that a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. Because it was... Our, Alicia had never seen it. Tristan was dying to watch it again. He hadn't seen it for... Since it had come out. 
And when you're younger, that's a that's a lifetime. So he couldn't remember it all, but he was really he wanted to watch it again. I was like, yeah, it's a great show. Of course, we'll watch it again. So uh, so yeah, we watched it, and it's again, Jackman's phenomenal in that that role, as is everybody else, of course. But uh, but yeah, no, it's. No, stay the fuck away from Jackman. He's a nice guy in real life, but don't trust the son of a bitch. <laughs> they also, uh, not that long ago, I was watching Chappie again, too. Oh, Another movie nice. where he's the worst person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, he was horrible in that. And see, this is... The, the scene where he captures Chappie and is, like, cutting him open... We literally had to pause the movie and take a moment because it was a little too intense for some people. Now. <laughs> this is a theme that we saw a lot more in the comic books than in the movies. We got to see it a little bit in the movies and we get to see it here later on. But this idea, of course, that Logan has is that he cannot be close to people. Bad things happen to people who are around him. It's not... It's not fake. He's not imagining these things. Bad shit follows him wherever he goes, and the people he loves eventually get killed, and that's exactly what happens here as well. By no fault of his own sometimes, but it still happens. Yeah, and he never doesn't blame himself for it Exactly, yeah. Again, Merchant being brilliant. Who's that doctor? I can't remember his name. I always think I'm supposed to recognize him, but I never do. Ah, uh, he's a great character actor. Richard Grant. Richard E. Grant, Dr. Race. <laughs> That's why, like, you feel like you're supposed to recognize the character because the actor's been in so many things. And they lay the groundwork well enough that you're not rooting for them, but you can understand where they're coming from, especially in this predicament. Because it's not like the other X-Men shows where it's just death to all X-Men and, and things like that. This is a much more grounded story, and it's this guy. This guy could take out not just a building, but a block and potentially more. He is that powerful, and now he doesn't have the control over that that brain that he needs to have. So, it's it it's again it's you. It's not that you agree with them, but you're like, mm, but I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing that's always made comics yeah so interesting is that in some twisted way, even if it's entirely within their own mind the villain's kind of right. <laughs> it doesn't always come across in the movies where, like like we said earlier, you know, they're typical mustache twirling, you know, that's the bad guy type of villains. You don't get a lot of that same depth. I mean, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, you only have a certain amount of time in a movie, whereas Magneto's been around since literally the 60s. He's had time for character development. But, but we get enough of that. Again, it it's what makes this movie different. It it takes a lot of what's done in the comics largely because comics have the time to tell these uh, larger stories with more depth and knocks it out in two hours. <laughs> it's, it's kind of astonishing when you look at the, the, 
the genre's track record. And coming up is one of my favorite lines in the movie. Because, of course, they're talking about the school, (laughs) and he's talking about Jackman, and uh, that line of, uh, what was it? It's going to come up. Hold on one second. I wish I could say you were a good pupil, but the words would choke me. One of the best lines in the movie. My God. Did the I commentary talk much about this scene? Yeah. Yeah. He talked about the, the, again, that those personal family elements and interacting with another family and letting mm-hmm. your guard down for a little bit. But he actually primarily spoke about just how great the actors were in it because when you're doing a scene like this that lasts a couple of days to film, mm-hmm. those people are eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and corn (laughs) steady for a couple of days he says it's actually really hard on them but these guys were fantastic one of the things i had read is the the scripted dialogue in that scene just didn't work because you have to keep in mind you know it's the actor playing the character playing another character so like the scripted dialogue was coming across to artificial. So Jackman and Stewart actually improved yeah. a lot of their dialogue there. So it made it again, more realistic as they're not professor X and Wolverine. They're just Logan and Chuck two normal people trying to blend in and it, them improving gave it a, a, a lighter, it, again, it has that realism of, you know, they're not telling the truth themselves, which when you're just reading the script, no matter how good of an actor you are, certain things aren't going to come across. Well, the thing too is that uh, Mangle had so much faith in both of them, not just because they're spectacular actors, but they're spectacular actors who know these roles inside and out. They've done so much with them that if you want them just to kind of run with it for a few takes, you know you're going to get something good. Mm Mm-hmm. My son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's just, there's so much loaded dialogue in these scenes. I love it. <laughs> and again, just carrying him up the stairs. I love that you get, again, these scenes with her following. There's, and she's watching and she wants to be part of this family. And, mm-hmm. and things like that. And meanwhile, kind of being distracted as well. That's one of the things that he talked about um, with in regards to her character as well. Because like Wolverine, and like he wants for all characters, but these characters are multidimensional. They're not always going to be feral. They're not always going to be, you know, laughing it up or being serious or whatever. There has to be a lot of depth, a lot of different facets of their personality so here you get to see her being quiet and inquisitive as a child is wandering around this guy's the the other kid's room like she owns a place and just kind of looking around whatever and the music and everything else it's it was so well written and of course acted and directed but written so that you get to see so many different facets of all of their personalities it's Again, it it allows you to see them as people versus just 
the comic book heroes that we've only just seen them as before. And this is where we get really interested in a subplot that means literally nothing. <laughs> I will say this could have used a little bit more editing, I think. Just <laughs> yeah. not a ton, but a little bit. Yeah, wouldn't hurt it. But again, it sets up the area. It sets you up to care about these people as well and their plight, which is mm -hmm. important. And yet again, spectacular actors in these supporting roles. What has Eric LaSalle been doing lately? Can't really. Anything he wants? I don't know. What's he working <laughs> on now? Hey, just sitting on his piles of money from ER, I guess. Actually, the last thing he worked on was Logan. And then he worked on uh, Under the Dome recently. So yeah, we'll just go with not much. <laughs> not since Logan, nothing. Doesn't even show anything in the works. <laughs> I find it hard to believe in the future there are headphones with wires attached. Because from what Apple has told me, Earbuds are the future. <laughs> and earbud jacks are antiquated. <laughs> <laughs> Although that might not be an iPad. Is there a, you can't see the logo. It might be something else. I mean, look at the size of the thing. <laughs> it's a I mean, retro. It's probably old. <laughs> Family doesn't have that much money. It's a hand-me-down. Yeah, it doesn't work either. The fucking batteries doesn't <laughs> don't last long on those things. <laughs> so that can't be it either. So yeah, this this is the part where I had to pause the DVD. <laughs> we were watching it for the first time at home. I was like, wait, no, I need to see those names on the back. <laughs> So how is it that old, sick, and dying Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, still makes me regret a lot of life decisions? Yeah, I don't work out nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs> Not nearly enough. <laughs> Jesus, look at this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not looking too great. <laughs> It, we've been watching, it, thanks to you, Face Off since, I mean, what was that? Maybe season three or four or something like that when you put us yeah. onto it. And we went back, watched all of the old ones, and then have been constantly watching. Anytime there's a new one, now they've been doing a new thing called um, Game Face, where they bring back veterans and they, they all compete each episode for 10 grand. Anyways, all that just to say, now Karen and I, when we're watching movies, we're like, 
we're analyzing all the special effects. We're <laughs> analyzing like the makeup, the scars and everything to see how well done they are. We're far from experts, but we now we can appreciate a little bit more what goes into it and things like that. So when you're seeing the scars on him, like the prominent one on his face, but then also like on his shoulder, God, it's well done. Like really, really well done. And that's something that no amount of technology is ever going to replicate. Like that, that is an art form in and of itself that will never be superseded. Well, it's it's the easiest and looks the most natural when it's well done. Plus, the actors get to be in that skin as well, which makes a big difference in their performance then. And watching the scene, you have that, oh, man, Logan just caused some trouble for this family that he's not going to be around for. <laughs> Realizing, of course. Yep, of course. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. not be around for either. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah, by that time, they're all dead. Well, pretty much dead, not quite. But yeah, no, I was thinking that when it's like the writing's on the wall on that one. The moment is like, <laughs> my son can go help you. Go, no, let him do it himself. Trust me. <laughs> you don't want him anywhere near there. The scene. What's beautiful about this is that we don't yet know the reveal. Mm-hmm. We know it now, of course. I I, I'm assuming times. everybody was thinking it was going to be Sabretooth. Not what we eventually get, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But he was saying how it was so f- more important to put in X-24 than Sabretooth or another villain. That mm-hmm. you would have to explain why they're there or whatever, even if it was um, Pierce. But that doesn't make sense either kind of thing. The beauty of putting X-24 there is that he represents everything that Logan feels bad about in his past. So when he is fighting him, he's fighting the man that he used to be. And that's where the catharsis comes from later on when they're having their one-on-one as well. So this isn't just about having a... Uh, uh, a reveal all of a sudden when he flips him over and kills him, but it's far more about what it means for for Logan about being coming face to face with himself and the worst parts of himself at that. It's, especially on repeated viewings, just the knowledge that Xavier is saying these things that Logan is actually never going to hear. Yep. It's heartbreaking. This entire scene. Oh my God. I I hate you for making such a well-made scene of all of this. God. And meanwhile, Jackman plays two freaking roles and does them both perfectly. And then, of course, you get the the stand down with when Logan comes face to face with X-24. But what's beautiful about that scene is X-24 is carrying X-23. <laughs> and again, despite how he's gotten close to her, 
it's Xavier. He's worried mm-hmm. about his dad, you know, because Xavier has become his father figure in the in the show. So now it's what like is Xavier all right? And again, more ma- hair and makeup stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Wow, he really has gotten old. <laughs> and here we're going to see... Caliban really shining soon. Like, Jesus, the scenes with him are just spectacular mm-hmm. that are coming up. And Stephen Merchant is well known for, you know, his comedic roles, but I, undersold is his abilities as an actor in general, and it really shined in this movie. Because at first you think he's just going to be the comic relief. Of course, you've got, you know, Logan and Professor X, it's going to be super serious guys all the time. We had the twist of, of course, Patrick Stewart playing a little more loose than we've come to expect from the character. And that balanced out by Stephen Merchant being super dramatic in a lot of these later scenes. Did you watch the uh, the deleted scenes off the, the Blu-ray? No. The scene where that's going to be coming up where he drops the bombs and all that, there's actually a follow-up scene where he is um, like kind of blown apart but not entirely and dying on the grass. And it's yet another um, scene where it's like you see just how separated Caliban is to Logan and Xavier and x23 later on like he's mm-hmm. not part of that they're leaving without him while he's still alive so they wow. took it out because it was a little too much but yeah it was it's it's pretty striking See, but I the thing is, watching... is Cal- caliban was a villain like yeah. so it, it kind of makes sense that with especially wolverine like he he doesn't forget to that <laughs> like <laughs> he might work with you later on if you were you know you become a good guy like magneto did for a little while but he's always watching you kind of thing too so so it makes sense that when he's making plans for their retirement on the boat or to escape or whatever Caliban's not coming along no he'll do what he can to try to save him and he'll feel bad if something happens certainly but eh, he's all right with leaving him yeah I, I gave up on watching deleted scenes a few years back I, after being disappointed and going like well there's a reason these scenes were deleted for the most part <laughs> they, it it's just something they throw onto DVDs but Every once in a while you do get a movie where it's not, it wasn't a deleted scene. It was edited for time. (laughs) I actually love watching those because it gives you an insight into the art of filmmaking. And it's the same as when you are listening to um, uh, the commentaries as well. And you're getting this insight into what might have been kind of deal. And And I love seeing that kind of thing. There it is. And damn you, Mythbusters. Now I know they could not have survived that. We say that all the time now. 
<laughs> He's part cyborg. It's okay. No, no, it's not. The shock would have killed him. <laughs> That's just physics. And then, of course, this was filmed over days where one day he is X-24 fighting a double <laughs> and the other day he is Logan fighting a double. Interesting parallel to the prestige. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. And coming up is one of my favorite scenes as well, where he's got the gun trained on Logan. Not on this one, but on Logan. And you're like, even Logan's like, do it. Just, just do it. Because he knows he was right. He did mm -hmm. not want to bring this to this family's home. And he knew that they would. Hard to tell who's more disappointed there. Yep. Like, look at that. Jesus. <laughs> like, when a look can impart that much, like, that's just phenomenal acting. Gotta pick up my girl. Just toss her in the back and take off. <laughs> oh, God, that little girl. Oh. And then just like when you're watching this and you're thinking, like, does she know that it was a clone? Like, <laughs> yeah she yeah, saw them both there yeah but at the same time you know she's a young girl like she could be confused like, it's I, I gave a lot of thought to this little girl's well-being throughout this movie <laughs> <laughs> the, see the thing is is that and again this is going back to my original point of just how much of a fan I am of, of the character and how I would like the character to be to be well written which she was here and why I would love to see some movies with her whether it's as X-23 or as the new Wolverine um, because there's so much that's not said here that I would like to to get some more of that backstory whether it's in flashbacks while still doing some new stuff kind of deal. But I, I would love to get more of it because it's, again, there's different things where you wonder, 
what her just how much of an experience how much experience she has with different things how much she was sequestered from life and and different things like that how much of this is just running on on instinct versus any kind of knowledge of what society is because she wouldn't have gotten that growing up Such an iconic shot there. When Her I saw the this scene, just him fucked up in the background. <laughs> I actually, again, like you, I didn't watch a lot about the show when they first were talking about it, when they released some details and all that, because I, I did want to go in with next to no knowledge so that I could just try to enjoy kind of thing. If, if, if that was possible, because <laughs> we'd recently watched the others for, for the podcasts. So it was like, oh man. And so when I, it looked like it might be really good, I kind of held off. The death of Xavier actually took me by surprise. I hmm. didn't think that they were going to do it. I knew, he, and there again, the holding hands and how impactful that is. Jesus. Um, my actually, my, uh, my screensaver on my iPad is actually the shot of her holding his hand, but the claws are out. It's a beautiful uh, yeah. picture. Anyways, and then, of course, he's got so little to say. He's, as a character, doesn't talk a lot. Although, it depends on who writes him in the comic books. Well, I just want to point out, the blood on his forehead makes an X in the scene. Jesus, I never noticed that. <laughs> that is funny. That can't be on accident. Did you know Xavier was going to die? I assumed. Okay. See, I did not. I thought that maybe they'd still keep him around for a little bit longer. But then when I'd been watching some of the scenes with um, with Stuart when he was on different talk shows and all that, talking about it, he was saying, too, like, this was the last time he was playing Xavier. Chorus, he mm. kind of hinted at possibly going on Legion because Legion that is, of course, his son in the comic books and in the TV show, well, the, the second season is going to be coming out. And in the second season or the, in the first season, they did kind of, <laughs> I love that. They did set up that his father's a very powerful mutant. So even if people don't know, it'll make sense if he's there, but Patrick Stewart and the actor that plays the Legion guy, Anyways, I can't remember his name. Yeah. They were on, was it James Corbin talk show? I think so, yeah. And, like, the guy who plays Legion was saying how, you know, that's my dad in the comics. And Corbin was like, what? He goes, yeah, like, <laughs> his character is actually my character's dad, only he's never been on. And he was saying, like, he can come on. And Stuart was like, yeah, I would love to. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Even just for a little cameo here and there, that would be amazing. Well, yeah, it's the same thing with Jackman. He's like, he's retired unless <laughs> yeah. he said he would come back for uh, Deadpool or a role in the Avengers. Yeah, but they kind of flip-flop on that too, so. This is the only other scene in the movie I think is just like, really? <laughs> oh, see, I think it fits. And this is when, where he was talking too about hiring phenomenal actor for literally a few lines and then boom he's done 
what the point got across. <laughs> How'd we get here? <laughs> I love the scene too. <laughs> and the reveal of the truck is just perfect. I mean, after so much seriousness with you know, Xavier dying and all that, like you needed this scene. Yep. Especially when she moves this stuff out so you you can see <laughs> she's the one that drove them there. You can't just take shit unless it's a phone charger and some jerky. <laughs> that shit's free game for anybody. <laughs> And this scene. (laughs) 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 But yeah, this is that the audition scene that I'd posted like when I first found it where she was asking if she could just kind of improv and went off the rails on him. And I was like, Oh my God, no wonder they put that in the show. She's brilliant. And the relationship between the two, like God, just fantastic. And this is the scene where I'm questioning, do I really want to have kids? (laughs) (laughs) I don't raise them to be like that. (laughs) I just realized now I want to go back and freeze frame and see what the ad on the back of that magazine is. (laughs) It's obviously a, a wrestling match gotta be like Ben Grimm or something <laughs> oh that'd be funny <laughs> I love that <laughs> just nailing them <laughs> And that's what happens as an adult. Sometimes you just give up and say, fine. Seeing as a slow spot here, too, it'd be kind of interesting to talk about the last of the Wolverine stuff that that was Wolverine, not counting 
old man Logan stuff, but actually mm-hmm. Wolverine stuff in the comic books was actually around the time when we were just about wrapping up on comic book and former podcasts. It was close. And that was the death of Logan. And they made a big deal about that, how they were going to be killing off the character. And what was interesting was that if you read enough comic books for long enough, you, of course, understand how for most comic books, especially if they're from the big two from Marvel or DC, the your characters aren't going to die. The death is not permanent. They're going to keep bringing them back. And there are some comic imprints that do actually allow their characters to die. And we've seen that, say, in comic books like Invincible. Although even in that, sometimes there's parallel universes and things like that. But for the for the most part, they kind of stay true to it. And so in comic books like that, you get to appreciate the importance of life because characters that you do like sometimes will disappear. It's kind of like The Walking Dead and kind of like The Game of Thrones. So I'm talking like an old man, the Google, (laughs) the Game of Thrones, kind of like Game of Thrones. And so one of the things with, with the death of Logan that was disappointing was that it wasn't the first time they killed him off just to bring him back. Same as we've seen with a multitude of other characters. So they were trying to make it seem like such a big deal, but a lot... Yeah, you knew he was just going to come back, but they were trying to put so much importance into it and, and things like that. And it was not long before that that we'd had a major story arc with Peter Parker where there had been in one universe the death of that peter never coming back and then he comes back but what's important here is the the writer of that that was charles sewell was it not yeah it was charles sewell for death of wolverine yeah yeah talked about it because he was saying how so many people were saying how yeah he's just gonna come back there's really i know you're trying to make it seem like it's such a big deal because that ran for a number of issues across different uh, series as well. They were really ramping it up and stuff like that. And me, even as a huge fan of the character, was like, eh, whatever. Like, he'll be back in no time flat. Hell, he was coming back before the end of that as old man Logan from another parallel universe kind of deal. <laughs> so I was like, eh, whatever. But it was when Sewell talked about it and said, you know what? Yes, we all know he's going to come back, but this is my story. I get to play with this story and I get to kill him off how I want. I get to do with it what I want. And you get to enjoy that story. And it kind of put that concept in a new light for me and it allowed me to appreciate it a little bit more. And I was thankful for that, actually. Yeah, if the writer is taking it seriously and as far as he's concerned, he isn't ever going to come back and is is writing it with conviction, it can still be entertaining and interesting. Like, I don't feel Death of Wolverine was. No, it wasn't. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) But the potential was there. But what happened in that series was, as has been the case often, is he's constantly going back to to the Weapon X program and things like that, which is partially this because X-23 and X-24 are from the Weapon X program as well kind of deal, uh, different facets of it. And so the... um, when he goes up against them, he actually he essentially takes them down. Although I don't know if that's stuck because again, I haven't read many comics since we stopped the, the podcast. And that was so bad that I didn't read a bunch after that either. But, and, and then he got a whole bunch of adamantium was poured on top of him and he died inside of 
this kind of statue of him kneel, kneeling down. It was very bizarre, very bizarre, but that's what they did with it. And then what happened is that shortly thereafter, the new Wolverine series became um, X-23. She took the mantle of Wolverine and the outfit and had her own series. Which, it, I mean, I haven't read it in the last year and change, but it was fun. Like, it was a charming, like, it was unique, like, making it her own thing. And, you know, the the way the cast expanded with uh, the then clones of X-23, who didn't quite have all the abilities, like, they didn't have the healing factor. So to balance it out, they just took out their pain threshold so they could continue fighting as if they weren't hurt. And it was, it, it was like, dark at points, but... Uh, yeah, it was her and then like the littlest sister, Gabby, and actual Wolverine Jonathan. <laughs> Who is just an actual Wolverine. It's it's brilliant, like in that goofy sort of way. And it's written by Tom Taylor, who has written yeah. some great comics. Uh the art was good. Like it it and it's still going. So uh I again I haven't read it in a while, but I liked what they did with it. I up and down because the, the, the issue that I had with it, as I have had with many instances where they change a character, um, is that in some cases they don't allow that character, the, 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 the new one in this case, X-23 to retain, um, their own identity. So Mm -hmm. in a case where you have, and, and this is because Again, a lot of these characters were created at a time where primarily the comic books were adult male, white male characters that were in said roles. So over the years, it's been important to try to remove some of that to put minorities, people of colors, people with disabilities, people of different religions, uh, sexual orientations, you name it, to try to put that in so that you can... You can finally have some diversity in comics, even though that's constantly fought after as well. The problem I have with it, I don't have a problem with that, of course. The problem I have is is when a an identity is taken from a character in order to put him in what used to be a white man's character. Like when they took um, uh, Sam and they put him in the Captain America role. Well, no, mm-hmm. he was, what's his name? Um <laughs> Falcon. He, he was that. No, no, dude. This is this guy. is meds. That has nothing to do with nothing else. It's meds and memory. But yeah, he was Falcon, and it was a it was an important character. Still, it wasn't a top tier mm-hmm. character, but it was still an important character that he created his own hero. He created his his uh, his legacy that he wanted to be, and then. Well, no, we're just going to put you in the cap role because you're a, a black male. It's like, no, that I don't like because I feel it's forced and and not because it's forced to change a white character to another color or minority because I don't have a problem with that. But when the character in question has an existing identity, mm-hmm. I feel it's disrespectful to that to say the role that you created as a black man is not nearly as important as this white male role. So we want you in that. That's when I have an issue with it. And X 23 was her own character X 23. And that was strong enough for her to do a crap load of stuff, including working with the X men, you name it. So when she took the mantle, I didn't mind it quite as much because it was taking the mantle of her, her father, yeah, it was an inheritance. So that I didn't mind it as much. It wasn't quite the same, but I still would prefer 
if she had kept up as as X twenty three because that's a, a spectacular character as well. While I I agree with everything you said, like it, it didn't bother me at all her becoming Wolverine because like you said a the, the fact that Wolverine was at least biologically you know yeah. mostly her father, <laughs> but um, I, also the fact that to begin with she was a derivative character of Wolverine. So no matter what she would do, unless she completely like left the entire concept of her character behind, she's never going to get away from being under that umbrella of Wolverine. So I I didn't have a problem with that. Same thing like when um, Carol Danvers decided to become Captain Marvel finally, because she was always a derivative character of Marvel. So it, it, it didn't feel out of place. It felt like she was finally stepping up to be a more, you know, full, fully realized version of herself. That bullet is fantastic, too. You mm-hmm. you get to see in the scenes that it appears just how much weight such a small item can carry. Because that's his freedom. That's that's it. Never allowed to be happy. <laughs> and this. <laughs> This was awesome because as I was watching it um, each time, I was like, oh, this is just kids being kids and being goofy and having fun and whatnot. But it wasn't until, like, I can recognize, yeah, now he looks like his old self. But it was more than that. It was like he has spent decades changing who he was so he wasn't the Wolverine anymore. So now to be turned back into that carries a lot more weight than just kids pulling a prank because that's what they see him as because of the comics. It was kind of interesting to hear Mangle's uh, take on that. It's something I didn't realize at first. Like, oh, you know, they coincidentally cut his beard to look like that. It wasn't until further thinking. I was like, oh, wait, no, that's probably how he looks in the comic book. Yeah, they gave him back the mutton chops. And this is where you can once again really appreciate just how good the special effects were in terms of the people applying them. Because going back to what Mangle had said about, again, using harsh light, hard light for everything because of the contrast it builds and things like that, that kind of light is not just brutal on actors in terms of blemishes or scars or things like that, but like any prosthetics that they have to put for making scars, gashes, burns, any kind of thing like that, they're under a microscope under that kind of lighting. So when you see it here in this Dakota lighting and it looks perfect, it looks really, really good. You got to give them props for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I wonder if that was like, any more noticeable with uh, the black and white with the higher contrast there. Yes, it was actually. Yeah. You really notice those, the gashes and the scars on him. You notice them on the black and white. And again, this whole little bit is really, again, it, it has me excited for that fictional new mutants movie because all these kids were, were great. Yeah. Yeah, they were. 
The problem is, is that the new mutants were a little bit older for the most part. Mm. So there were a couple that were younger, but a lot of them were teens. Whereas a lot of these, if they're teens, they're very young teens. So, and that's, I feel works a little bit better. There's not to insult teens, but less attitude and more (laughs) childlike (laughs) wonder at the world, even when shit's going bad. That's the one thing I will say for the old new mutants comics, both good and bad. Chris Claremont did write some very accurate teenagers. Yeah. It's a problem is, is that as a parent, there comes a point where it's like, I don't want to read about teenagers. <laughs> I've raised four. We've had consecutive teenagers in the house for 17 years. I don't want to see that anymore. <laughs> and then again, there's some lines between the two of these were when he's talking about, you know, everybody I care about is dead. And she's like saying, well, then you won't have to worry about me because the implication being, of course, you don't care about me. It's such a powerful line. I love to again you gotta give props to Jackman that you know this yes he's kind of worn down and whatnot but he hasn't done too much he was sitting down he was so emotionally invested in that speech he's out of breath at the end of it mm-hmm. you know like again that's a testament to his skill as an actor Unless you want to go on a murderous rampage, then take it all. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that we, I talked about. What movie was it? I can't remember at this point, but I, I, I had praised it for, you know, how well it had set up every future action with, with stuff previously. And we get the same thing here where like nothing comes out of the blue. Yeah. Like, Every plot point is set up. It's established in the fiction and you get a payoff for it. There's, there's no, there's not a single wasted minute of this entire movie, except maybe the whole water scene, but you know. Well, that's just a little bit of editing. That's all that yeah. is. But no, the, you're right. No, there's, there's no red herring. You know, what's going to be happening. Oh, it was um, Star Trek Beyond was the one I was talking about where they did the same thing. Like they perfectly set up every future plot point well in advance. Yeah. Oh, did you start watching Discovery? No. Fuck, it's good. It's really good. We're really liking it. And back to yeah, Wolverine I'll, I'll running in the woods. It's available on the service that people actually use. <laughs> this, there was some deleted scenes as well that was... that. Uh, that were the different kids and their abilities and how they non-discriminately just 
kill these guys to <laughs> to keep going, but it was just taken up for pacing. That was it. But it was so cool seeing how it was done because they actually did like the special effects and everything for some of them. They were fully realized. They were just edited down because they had to. I mean, it's not just X-23. They were all created to be weapons. Yep. Even the weird scaly kid. Uh, I had noticed, too, setting up the Deadwood, too, laying around. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to be the death of him. Uh, that that's such a great cut there too just cutting away from him at once it's all injected you don't see the transformation <laughs> i mean not that it's an actual physical transformation but you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> what i love about these movies too is that you're rooting for the kids to just destroy these people. <laughs> it's it's a it's one of those instances where you're perfectly um justified in that wanting mayhem want when you want that murderous mayhem against these people. It's you don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> they deserved it. <laughs> God, I hope she's not screwed up as an adult like the girl from The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> that that just that roar coming out of the forest. Again, perfect. And for the first time, we actually get the Wolverine back. Yeah. It's it's a great cathartic moment for the character and the viewers. Well, it's especially great because this is when you see them fighting together as well, really. Like you mean you got a little bit at the beginning, but this is this is it. This is the big bed between them all. And you can tell again that at this point he he does have feelings for her and but also has a enough respect for what he knows she can do because she's him. So like, he's not coddling her. Like he's letting her fight against armed cyborgs. And all this while wearing the rainbow unicorn shirt. Yes. <laughs> and I love that he did the same move. <laughs> love that. 
and that. The moment she jumps off yep. his back, oh my God, that was just the moment I'd been waiting for the whole, the only thing that would have been better would have been a fastball special, <laughs> throwing her at an enemy. <laughs> Even the music in that scene has kind of like a retro feel to it. Oh, I adore the score in this movie. Yeah. It just fits perfectly. Manigal t- talked about that quite a bit too in terms of having something that was, again, you needed something that was a little different than the the normal superhero full-on horns and strings and everything else kind of thing and something far more grounded. That's that's what they needed for for this movie, something that's... That's real, and that's what uh, that's what we got. And it's kind of a throwaway line, but the fact that he calls him Mr. Howlett yep. is really important. Because <laughs> that was one of the guys, too, that... that talking about killing the guy that did that to him mm-hmm. in the death of Wolverine. I can't remember if it was the main scientist or if it was one of them, but he did kill one of them at the end. Of course, I don't know if, again, I can't remember if it was the main one. The one thing that this did, though, is... Um, sadly, <laughs> by being as good as it did, as it was, and um, clearly, no doubt, making them enough money as well, is I think going to make it so that Fox hangs on to the 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 property now longer. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I I didn't think necessarily they'd want to get rid of the X Men because they. They do still hang on to that, and you see the the various X-Men movies come out. Although Apocalypse, I can't imagine, did that well. It was a horrible film to begin with, but I don't think it did that well. I'd have to check. But That's not stopping them. Yeah, but it would be... It's one of those things where you're thinking, eh, if the property fell back to Marvel, maybe they could actually make something good out of it. But then you wind up with something like this, which clearly is fantastic. So mm-hmm. eh, who knows? But I think it's easy. It's 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 safe to say how the good ones are in the minority when you're looking at the bulk of the X titles. Got a little bit of Lucha Libre in her, too. 
She was raised in Mexico, you know. <laughs> I love that he gets that thing in his leg and he's like <laughs> screaming and everything else. Meanwhile, at the beginning of the show, when she gets it through her chest, yeah. she just screams, breaks it off and keeps going. <laughs> And this is where he pays for everything he's done to these kids. Again, don't feel bad. Nope. <laughs> Not one bit. <laughs> That's going to leave a mark. No, it won't. <laughs> not whatsoever. <laughs> you know, you read a lot of Wolverine comics. When you see that happen, you're going, that's not going to stole them down long, guys. Run. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. You pissed him off. Yeah, really? <laughs> that was his favorite tank top. <laughs> And here's another movie where at the end, the resolution is entirely believable. And unfortunately, in a lot of comic book hero movies, it's simply not. You get to the end and you're like, that makes no sense at all. That would not have stopped this unstoppable force that you've spent, you know, an hour and a half or two hours laying the groundwork that this this villain cannot be stopped. And it's as easy as this and and that's always have kind you of, tried punching him more yeah so <laughs> Turns this out that here works. works and it's like you know that that that's the one thing that can completely kill this thing so it, it works and i and i adored that because again in a movie like this where it has to be grounded it has to make sense for the the the, the bulk of the movie then to have any sort of impact and 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 it does i i i really love that resolution And then, of course, you know, the hands, holding hands again. And then you have that amazing realization by someone who has lived hundreds of years. And when he delivers that line, so this is what it feels like. And you're wondering if he's talking about dying or falling in love with a child that that's your child loving this child kind of thing and feeling like a, a parent for him and being a father kind of thing. And, and it's kind of hard to tell which one it is mango was saying. And, and that's, that's the power that of that scene.
And that little girl, man, can she act. I mean, I'm trying to think of like another moment in film that's as well earned as this. And I don't just mean like for this movie, like there've been plenty of movies that have had strong endings, but I mean, he's been this character since what, 2001. So 99, wasn't it? I thought the first X-Men came out in 99. I thought. Yeah, so it's somewhere in that range. I mean, like the, the the first closest thing I could think of would be like Spock at the end of Wrath of Khan. Uh, 2000. First X-Men was 2000. So yeah, for him too, like this is impactful. Um, Patrick Stewart told the story about when they went to go see the premiere and he was sitting beside Hugh Jackman and they were watching the film. And when it came to the ending, um, he said he looked over because um, Hugh Jackman had grabbed his hand. He'd kind of (laughs) leaned over and he was holding his hand. And he says he looked up and here's this man. Now, Hugh Jackman is not a small man, as is apparent (laughs) from the shows. Like he's not just built. He's actually a tall. What is he? Six, two, six, four. Can't remember well, how tall he well is. taller than Wolverine should be. Oh God, yeah, yeah, <laughs> goes without saying. But yeah, he's a big guy, and and he says he looked up at him. They're watching the scene, and Hugh Jackman was crying, and tear rolling down his eyes. And he said, "My God," he says, "If you're sitting beside Hugh, ja- this man who feels secure in shedding a tear, that means it's fine. You know, <laughs> like I'm I'm fine to shed a tear as well over this." And he was saying how impactful it was. For both of them, because, of course, both of their characters died. And this scene here, oh, my freaking Lord. Again, another scene that I was not expecting. Yes, the eulogy, of course, I was expecting. The the, the moment where they all walked away. And I I know it makes me sound like an unbelievable It's so cheesy. Dork. But, man. It was so impactful. Because that was the essence of his life, trying to make a difference in... And being that hero. And it was like, oh my God. Like I'm I'm feeling it now when I'm just looking and reading subtitles. It was so well done. Also, shout out to the kid with his little Wolverine action figure. That was <laughs> <laughs> And that is it, folks. Logan, what a friggin' film. Tell me the truth, though, now. If you're putting it in terms of of other recent, you know, superhero films, where are you placing it? it it's one of those things where I, I look, at, look at it as a film, and it's clearly the best. Like, it's, it's not a contest. But as far as like, you know, how like my enjoyment factor, like it's still top three, I'd say. Like, but I mean, for me, like Winter Soldier is always going to be hard to top. Uh, but it, it's still a phenomenal piece of work on its own and will go down as one of the best superhero movies of all time. When I saw it the first time, I thought um, I didn't immediately thought, OK, this is the best I've ever seen in terms of superhero movies. Uh, I thought it was exceptionally well done, but it wasn't like nothing's going to come close to this for a while. 
And then I watched it again a few times. And then I listened to the commentary. And and for me, it is by far the best superhero movie that's that's I for me ever been done. And and that says a lot because that's not saying Winter Soldier for, again, I keep saying for me, but it's important to say that. It's not saying that Winter Soldier wasn't as impactful for me or or things like that or the the first uh nolan batman or even the dark knight nolan's dark knight with uh ledger uh there's a lot of superhero movies that have been spectacular not to mention the obvious guardians of the galaxy as well which again that second one oh my god was that ever good like it's profound how good it uh, was just a heads up i lost you i don't know if your finger came off the button or I got excited there for a moment and my finger came off the button, but <laughs> the audience is going to hear everything I said. And that's all that's important. <laughs> and you'll hear it if you ever decide you will give a rat's ass. But what I was saying is the impact that this film has had for me and, and, and where I place it and what I would put even remotely close to it. And the problem for me is that it is such a departure from a comic book film mm-hmm. because you, it, it, you it, expect it the Avengers. on its own. Yeah, you expect the Avengers, the X-Men. You don't expect a story about people kind of thing. And that's that's what this was. So any parting thoughts? And nothing that we haven't already said, because I could just retread some previous <laughs> talking points. But uh, all respect to uh, all the cast and crew for turning out a phenomenal piece of work. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It was a spectacular film. I am glad you guys tuned in to listen to us yahoos chatting about it. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it would provide, again, a, a little bit of a difference than what you would get from the commentary from the director, which I encourage you to listen to if you are a fan, a fan of the film. But he really didn't talk about the comics as well or about the role of the characters in the comics. And, and I thought that might be important to kind of give a, a just an extra layer of depth that allows you to appreciate the film that much more so thank you very much for joining us of course you can read the show notes for this at popcorn rodan let us know in the comments what you thought about the film and uh and if we missed anything which clearly we we must have and uh, you can also find us on itunes and stitcher go ahead and leave us some comments and we will talk to you soon hopefully i mean i i i'm not even saying every two weeks anymore I'm going to have that recorded out of the intro, in fact, and outtakes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Popcorn Ronin. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out For the Lore, a gaming podcast, as well as Leatherbound, a book of the month podcast. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.